0: Welcome to the Women in Work podcast, the show that inspires you to confidently step into your God-given calling and view your work as meaningful to the kingdom of God.
1: I'm Courtney Moore. And I'm Missy Branch. We want to introduce you to women who through their own unique vocations are seeing what they do make an eternal difference. And we pray these conversations will inspire you in your own
0: calling to honor God, to image Him to the world through your work, and to leverage
1: your potential for His glory. Thank you so much for joining us today.
0: Women in Work is grateful to partner with Elevate as the exclusive sponsor of this podcast and the entire fall podcast season. Elevate equips and empowers families around the world by helping them create sustainable work through small businesses. Their leather products are beautiful and well-crafted, Please see the impact they are having and their products on their website at elevatepeople.com. And when you make a purchase, be sure to tag Women in Work and Elevate at elevate.people on Instagram and elevate.ppl on Facebook. Thank you, Elevate. We are so happy to welcome to the podcast today, Jen Wilkin. Jen, we're so glad you're here. I'm so glad to be on. Thanks for having me. We are thrilled. If you don't know Jen, she is an author and a Bible teacher from Dallas, Texas. She has organized and led studies for women in her home, in the church, in the parachurch. She is a huge advocate for biblical literacy, and her passion is really to see others, especially women, become articulate and committed followers of Christ. She wants them to have a clear understanding of uh, why they believe what they believe. And she wants that grounded in the word. And so her latest book is called 10 Words to Live By, delighting in and doing what God commands. And um, we hope all of our listeners will check that out. So Jen, oh my goodness, Missy and I are thrilled you're here. And um, we always love chatting with you. And um, every time I hear you teach or just chat, I'm always so encouraged and edified. And I really just believe our women uh, who listen to this today are going to feel the exact same way. So thanks so much for being here.
2: Well, it feels like a reunion. I mainly just want us to chat and catch up on what's going on in everybody's lives, but I'm going to resist. We'll stay on topic.
1: Okay. Well, Jen, we like to start off with what we call rapid fire questions. And I don't know why we say rapid fire because we take forever between all of them. But anyway, anyway, so we want to start with these questions because they're a lot of fun. We get good, crazy answers from these. So the first question is, as a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up?
2: Um, I wanted to be whatever meant I had money and power. So I was a super nice kid. You can imagine. Yeah. So I wanted to be like a career girl. And I'll tell you why. I think here's why. I think uh, my mom was a single mom, Mm -hmm. you know, and she, she came up through the education system at a time where women were not prepared to um, take care of a family if their marriage didn't hold up. And so I watched her um, try to navigate being a single mom from a financial standpoint and you know from, from her time. Um, and I just was like, man, I don't want that to happen to me. And so I think some of what was in my head was I'm going to insulate myself from uncertainty by having money and
0: power.
1: There you go. We have talked about this. Isn't that you? horrible?
0: No, i that. <laughs> Jen, do you know your enneagram number? I'm just wondering if if the desire for money and power has anything to do with how God made you.
2: <laughs> Gosh, look at the time. I wonder how many questions we have to get through
0: today. <laughs> okay. Yeah.
2: All right, Jen. What was your first job? Um, my first job was being a hostess at an Italian restaurant in my hometown. Oh, mm-hmm. that sounds like fun. Mm-hmm. I had to seat the people. I had to light the candle on the table. And sometimes <laughs> I had to fill in for the dishwasher if the dishwasher didn't show up.
1: Okay. And you got paid. Yeah, money and power. That was a big <laughs> money, money and power, power move power. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so what kind of work would you love to see yourself doing when you're 80 years old? Oh, I hope you know I, I'm accidentally
2: a writer, and so I really I realize though that writing is something you can hang on to even yes. into your uh, your uh, twilight years, and so I'm really hoping that my latter years will be spent writing things that I've thought a lot about and taught a lot
1: about. That's exciting. Yeah, exciting. Well, I would love to sh- to dive into some of your work story, like you saying you're an accidental writer is. Wonderful, because I know a lot of us have stumbled into what it is that God has us to do throughout Mm -hmm. our lives. So one of our questions is, how did you even become interested in the Bible? What was the first time it gripped you? And then take us on that journey from loving the Bible personally to teaching it to women and then writing about it.
2: Yeah, when I was growing up, my mo- I mentioned my mom was a single mom. And so we didn't really fit in the church very well. You know, she mm-hmm. was always kind of the odd woman out in a lot of the typical scenarios of church Sunday school classes or whatever. So we kind of moved around between a bunch of different churches in my hometown. But one of my earliest exposures um, was in a Bible church. It was a church that was an offshoot of Dallas Theological Seminary's yes. you know, work. The pastors had both graduated from there. And so just really great line by line teaching of the Bible. And I remember being in late elementary and middle school and being given to, I was, you know, they treated you as though you could do it. You know, here's a, Mm -hmm. here's some tools and and we're going to help you learn how to read the Bible. And that appealed to me and then, um, then spent time in a bunch of other different denominations, Which raised the question, why are we all holding the same book and saying different things? You know, a pastor with a lot of authority is standing behind a pulpit in each of these spaces, but they're not all saying the same thing. Mm. And so I became increasingly convicted that firsthand knowledge of the Bible was going to be important if I was going to have my own vantage point on things and not simply be taking someone else's word for it. Um, mixed into some of those denominational travels was some really bad teaching uh, that mm-hmm. had very real negative consequences in the life of my family, and so uh, it wasn't. It, it was a practical desire, not just a theoretical desire, to have a pure theology.
1: Wow! And at what point did you decide that now that I'm studying this and I'm like absorbing it, it's it's a thing I love to do that this would be something I would love to teach. Um,
2: you know, so that's you know I mentioned the whole craving for money and power. I, I let's just keep saying that because it makes <laughs> me sound like such a nice person. I I went to college and got an English degree, okay. which is really not the pathway to money and power nope. for anyone who's curious. And um, but I loved it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I ended up getting a, a master's in business so that I could get a job that was more in line with you know my my Perfect. idea of who I was. Yeah, basically. And, um, I told my husband, I don't want to be a teacher because teachers don't make any money. <laughs> i come from a family full of teachers who this was incredibly disrespectful to. And also again, an indicator of my maturity level. So the joke around the Wilkin household is that I then proceeded to teach for nothing for <laughs> twenty years, like I got paid no dollars, that's, none. That's really yeah. I was just thinking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so Jeff's like, "I love how your plan's working out." You know, basically he's funding all of my my teaching dreams by going to work every day. So yeah, I was I I got involved in a women's Bible study at my church in Houston because I had just had my first child and had quit my job that was going to make all my dreams of power and success come true, and. I just needed a reason to get out of the house. And mm. then I got there and it was, uh, it was actually, is Beth Moore's first study was what they wow. were doing at the church. So I get there and I see her head on the screen and she is doing this thing that I did not know was an option.
0: Interesting. <laughs> I yes. love that. Beth Moore gave you
2: inspiration. Like, huh, fascinating. And so uh, then I, I start, so I'm leading a small group within, you know, about six months and I start to have disagreements with what her Bible studies are teaching. And I don't mean like, you know, she was teaching heresy or anything like that. Mm-hmm. A lot of it for me was, I was not aware yet that I was coming from a different theological vantage point mm-hmm. on some things. Mm-hmm on second and third level issues, right? Sure. So I would say, gosh, I wouldn't have taught it that way. Oh, I would have said this differently. Well, you don't say that in a room full of Beth Moore <laughs> fans, you know, like mm, you just yeah. you need to tamp that down. Uh, and so I began to realize that I was probably never going to be content to be a small group leader in someone else's Bible study because I had wow. so much that was stirring inside of me. So I started um, writing my own curricula, mainly because, well, actually I used some other people's for a while, but still felt that just, oh, I want it to do exactly what I want it to do. And mm-hmm. it wasn't that those curricula were bad. It's just that when you have that teacher brain, you're always thinking about a learning outcome and how you're going to get them there. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have had words for that at this point, right. but I know that's what was driving it. So that's that's kind of how it all started was when I was in my um, mid to late 20s, So it's- when, when I was not old enough for anyone to to really need to listen to anything I had to say. Frankly. I love it.
0: <laughs> so when you're you're in your mid to late 20s, you're writing your own brand new curricula. At this point, how many children did you have? I'm sure they were tiny. <laughs> and of course, all of our women always want to know, how are you making it work? How are you being faithful <laughs> in the home, raising your children, and then also pursuing what God has called you to? How did you do it, Jen? Um, well, so I did have four children in
2: wow. four years. Oh my goodness. So, um, Actually, the church offered me a job, a part-time job as the women's ministry director because I wrote a spicy letter saying how we needed to hire someone Thank and um, hashtag writer. And they were like, well, how about you? And I mean, I remember just wanting to howl with laughter. I'm sitting in this <laughs> sweet man's office and I said, I, my children are four, three, two and zero. Wow. You have never <laughs> met a less employable person in your life. And he said, uh, we think you're the person and we want to pay you for whatever hours you can give us. And I still think back to that day. And I I think, what if he hadn't said that? Like, what if he had said, you know what? You're right. And really, you should be at home with those kids Mm. because that's really where your ministry is. And you know what? I believe that. That is where my ministry was. Um, I also had a compulsion to teach the Bible and to help women uh, in the local church. And so what I've often reflected on is that when it comes to women, and I know you guys talk about this a lot on this podcast, we have a, an atrophied understanding of dual calling for women. Uh, We understand it for men intuitively, but for women, we're like, Oh no, that's not a thing because anything that you do that is not your primary calling will rob from your other calling. Mm -hmm. And, um, I think the Lord just placed me in circumstances that it was like, gosh, I I could try this. Uh, And then I realized that those two things were actually not in competition with one another. Mm -hmm. If, if, right, if I and my husband were on the same page with things and having all the conversations and if we were checking in on things at a regular basis. But, you know, no one asked Jeff Wilkin when he took a full time job (laughs) if it was going to hurt his relationship with his kids. No one. Exactly. Right. And, and actually, he's a great dad and super present, you know, and mm-hmm. so that has also impacted my ability to say yes to things like the church right. offering me that role is that Jeff had a job where he didn't travel. He was home pretty much every night at five o'clock and he wanted to be with the kids, helping with the kids. And so those are all factors. Um, I can't give a blanket recommendation to every single woman out there, but I can say my story has been that Jeff has been a huge partner and And has always said, you should go do the thing the Lord has given you to do. And my kids know that they got a mom who is not just their mom. She's the Bible study mom. And so that meant that we were all on board with making sure that both mom and dad were able to do the work that was in front of them.
1: That's beautiful. You know, when you said that um, we are dealing with an atrophied (laughs) <laughs> understanding of women's roles. I think alongside that, we're also dealing with um, no theology for change. So yeah. once you open your eyes and realize that things are broken, we still are like, oh, man, mm-hmm. things are broken. <laughs> we're like, well, now what do we do? <laughs> to figure- I guess let's just keep moving forward in the same way we always did. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, okay. So you are you and I have a similar life stage. Like our, I, my kids are older out of home. Well, not all of them, but in college. And I think back to those years um, where you were writing, teaching, traveling, working with the church, you had these children and you have Mm -hmm. this marriage. And one of the things you did say was that your husband was very present, but how did you balance that? I'm still going to do all these things and be excellent, but I still want to be an excellent wife and an excellent mom. And I want to make sure my marriage is staying fresh And I want my husband to be okay with the fact that I'm running around the streets, not because (laughs) but but so that he knows that I haven't just made this commitment to him as a wife, like tertiary. I like, I still honor this commitment I've made.
2: Yeah. Well, like I said, he, he was saying, you need to go do the thing that you do. Um, He was not saying, why are you leaving on the weekends? And honestly, when the kids were little, it wasn't like I was traveling and speaking like I am now. Uh, I thank God, frankly, that I didn't have any platform of any size until my kids were older. Not because I don't think you can do it. I'm just thankful I wasn't asked to, Right, right. you know, I, frankly, because um, I don't know, you know, I was the money and power girl. So who knows if I would have <laughs> handled that well, right? Right. The Lord knows. Uh, so I think the Lord let me get a little of the stuff and beat out of me uh, before before he gave me a platform where I could, you know. Screw it up, frankly. So, which is not to say that I don't have to be careful even now, but um, yeah, so Jeff was always saying, hey, I've got the kids, I can do this. And he, they enjoyed it. They thought it was fun if I was gone. You know, the girls had crazy hair because he didn't know how to fix their hair (laughs) and they ate. Horrible thing! Like they would always go to they would go to wings and more every time I would leave town, and I'm like, you are poisoning my babies, right? With hot wings, gross! And and then they're I knew what they would do is they knew like when I was going to be home, and they would wait until thirty minutes before I got there, and then they would run around and clean up the whole house, so I would have no idea what had transpired, but but it was fun. I mean, they thought it was fun and, and the kids are super close with Jeff. They got a lot of good time with him. And then on Tuesday nights. Um, so honestly my, my prep time for teaching was happening at nap time and nighttime, you know, because you know how it is like when the kids are there, you're all in, you're focused on what they're doing. So for the most part, it was nap time and nighttime. And then as they got older and they're doing homework or whatever, obviously I could be doing my work side by side um, when you're not in that stage where you're just trying to keep people alive anymore. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, but that's kind of how it fleshed out. But frankly, I don't have hobbies. This is my thing. I mm-hmm. I, I'm not, I don't, you know, none of the kids have a scrapbook. Sorry, kids. Uh, <laughs> there are a lot of things that I did. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of things I said no to because I said yes to this, it, mm-hmm. but that's the nature of, uh, of all of us when it comes to finding our calling and pursuing it. So
0: you mentioned, Jen, about how we really have a problem with the idea of dual callings as women. Um, Mm -hmm. And so part of the reason I even started Women in Work was because of that. I was in a very narrow one-track lane of what I thought womanhood was. And then the Lord really opened Mm -hmm. my eyes to, oh my goodness, no, you can't actually uh, pursue things. um, Even though I, of course, value motherhood and all of that. He's called me to other things as well. So I'm just wondering, you know, I felt like I grew up with hearing subtle tones of that, but really embraced it because I thought this is how you please the Lord as a woman. And I wanted to please yeah. the Lord. Um, but then you have some other popular voices that were have been very explicit saying, no, yeah. uh, women here will not, should not work outside of the home. And so it, it's very uh, poignant. It's just right there in your face. Like, no, this yeah. is not... Uh, the way what the Lord would have for you. And so I'm just wondering, like, in your perspective, culturally, like, how did we get here? And I mean, <laughs> how did we get here? And women are confused. And yeah. then we hear, you know, verses like Titus 2, 4 and 5, that, you know, we train these young women to love their husbands and their children and to be working at home. And how does all that play mm-hmm. together? And then, you know, you, you just throw in complementarianism, which we, is one of our values here at Women in Work. So, yeah. Oh goodness. I know that's a lot I'm throwing at you there, yeah. but yeah, we'll we'll just sort all that out now in the next uh, <laughs> yeah. thirty seconds. Or so. Yeah.
2: Um, so that was me. Uh, I I had uh, Matt, and I left a, a high pain. You know, it was the it was my path to money and power, and I left it convictionally, and I felt very strongly that I had made the one right choice. I remember thinking if these women would just get rid of their cable bill or uh, stop taking things to the dry cleaners, then they could stay at home too, which was ironic because I knew that wasn't true based on my own upbringing, right? Mm -hmm. But combined with that was was the memory that my mom had only ever wanted to stay at home with her kids. That was all she ever wanted and her sorrow, you know, when she Mm -hmm. had to go back to work as an economic necessity. But so much of my view on being a stay-at-home mom, I was not aware, was related to uh, socioeconomic realities that were not everyone's. And uh, I should have known better. But again, 23-year-old me was not thinking in some of the same channels that uh, an older version of myself was. So the problem, I think, with that idea is that it communicates that... Selfishness is not a problem for the stay at home mom. Right. (laughs) Which is ludicrous. Right. And so I remember thinking, I will leave selfishness in my briefcase and go home. And then I found out selfishness lived in my diaper bag. (laughs) Right. And so it's a major oversimplification to say that our physical location rectifies our spiritual location. That is not true and um, for many women it is not even possible for them to stay home with their children and so we 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 heap burdens upon them Mm -hmm. when we when we trumpet that and you know my church was the same way 10 years ago 10 years ago, if a woman on staff got pregnant, the expectation was that she would stay at home. It wasn't like a policy or anything like that, but everyone would be like, oh, well, okay, I guess she won't be working here anymore. And 10 years ago, if a man on staff got promoted, everyone thought, well, now his wife can stay at home if he wasn't making enough money before. That really was in our ecosystem. Mm -hmm. And um, praise God, that's not where we are now at all like we have committed to being a place that can employ women, uh, no matter what their stage of life is. Um, that if they choose to opt out, that's one thing. But we will not set things up in such a way that they have to opt out because it, we've made it so hard for them to stay employed. We want them to know your job is here for you, and we will make this as easy as possible for you, not as hard as possible.
1: Um, it's amazing that that is as recent as only ten years ago. That's exactly what mm-hmm. I was thinking. Um, <laughs> So when I, so I'm in working in this space where we have employees, people who are working here who are still at churches where they're still thinking that way. We have students Mm -hmm. coming in who are on both ends of that spectrum because we're seeing this 10 year kind of switch for all of us. Can you give us like how, what would you say? This is a biblical vision for women and work considering the creation mandate and considering um, we all have theological differences mm-hmm. and definitions but sure I have heard you walk through some of these things before and if yeah. you were to obviously this is overly simplified I understand yeah but if you were to give this is a biblical vision for women and their work what would how would you say that?
2: well I mean if you look at Genesis uh, and the story that's told in chapter one and two, there are bigger concerns there than just husband-wife relationships. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're talking about male-female relationships, although I would argue that the main point of Genesis 1 and 2 is not that. Obviously, the main point of Genesis 1 and 2 is that God, uh, God uh, speaks everything into being and that he brings order out of chaos. So those are the main takeaways. Mm-hmm. But then if you start looking at what specifically is happening with those he creates in his image, It is not good for the man to be alone, that Mm -hmm. that the image of God is not represented strictly in the male uh, embodied experience. It is also um, shown in the female embodied experience of the world. And not only that, but in a very literal sense in Genesis chapter two, the command to be fruitful and multiply cannot go forward unless there is a woman. Right. Right. Like he doesn't create an elder board as his second move for Adam. (laughs) He creates. A woman because you need men and women for fruitfulness to occur in a literal sense but if you look forward to the new testament and where, where um, the great commission is given it's given in the same language as the cultural mandate to be fruitful right. and multiply but the the implication is that a spiritual truth is what is being spoken of That fruitfulness and multiplication is the charge of the church to go and make image bearers uh, baptizing them into the name of the father the son and the holy Spirit. So we would be foolish to assume that the primary work of that is reserved only for male image bearers. <laughs> um, it, it, the fruitfulness of multiplication, it is not good for the man to be alone in a spiritual sense as it was not good for him to be alone in a physical sense back in the garden. And so the work of the church is manifestly the work of both men and women. Now, because our physiological uh, state of being is telling us something that is true about the universe, we know that our roles are not interchangeable, which brings us back to a complementarian understanding of things. Mm -hmm. Although I would argue that complementarian thought is a spectrum, not a dot on a line. I agree. So, um, so when we look at what it means for us to partner in the work of the church, um, at my church, at least, uh, we learned some painful lessons about, uh, it not being good for the man to be alone. When, when our, uh, our decision-making rooms were populated entirely by men, we were driven often more by processes, by a concern for processes than a concern for people. Hmm. And it was costly. It was costly in particular to a lot of the women who were at, at my church. And so, um, you know, we had, a, we had a very public and painful care case that went wrong, um, you know, back about, gosh, I blocked out the day, but like seven or eight years ago, which was mm-hmm. a turning point for us.
1: Hmm.
2: It was a turning point.
1: I'm often wondering, how did we get here? Like, how did we mm-hmm. get to the point that womanhood particularly in the space that is supposed to, that honors the Imago Day and is supposed to be mm-hmm. going all things glorious. How did we get to this point? For example, um, the idea that when you talk through women as leaders in the Bible, well, we can downplay right. them almost like, well, she's only a leader because God do it, <laughs> yes. like, Or the guy failed. She's not supposed to be leading. So like, don't use her as an example. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm always, yeah. how did we get here? And what do we do? Yeah.
2: Well, you know, I mean, probably about 20 years ago, maybe more like 30 years ago, there, there was a growing concern in the church about the threat of third wave feminism to the mm-hmm. way that we understand male-female relationships. And so third wave femi- fem- feminism became our bugaboo. It's our F word, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And so it's like, look over to your left. Do you see that? We don't want that. That's mm-hmm. very dangerous and very bad. So therefore, in order to avoid that thing that's over there on the left, we are going to err on the side of caution at every decision right. point. Um, But it's important to note that if you err on the side of caution, you consistently err and you only err consistently in one direction. So it's no surprise that we find ourselves now in many complementarian spaces where we actually have had a dangerous drift. Now, I know some people think this is not an actual statement too far to the right. okay? in other words, if you only perceive one slippery slope and it's on the left, guess where you're going to get sucker punched from. Right. The are right. Sure. Right. Spicy and so, again, spicy. yeah, so we have we have actually begun to guard and protect things that don't need us to guard and protect mm. them out of an overabundance of caution. Um, And so this is the big tension right now within complementarian communities is can I call myself a complementarian and can someone in a more conservative space call themselves a complementarian and can we both be right about it? Mm. Or do I have to be labeled as a a secret feminist for advocating for the equal value and dignity of women in a way that translates into the way they serve um, within the body of believers? And again, just to be clear, I'm not saying women can or should be pastors slash elders. I have never said that. Right. I do not have a secret desire to preach on Sunday at the village church. <laughs> right. Matt Chandler is not keeping me in a box. Like, you know, he we, mm-hmm. we, are, we love each other. We are friends, you know, and we want the best for each other. And so, um, but I think there's this idea that, um, first of all, if you have a marriage like mine, my husband must be weak and I'm usurping his authority. Oh, yeah. Right. And if you have a role like mine in the local church, then my leadership must be weak and I'm usurping the authority there. The idea that a woman might actually have appropriate giftings for an appropriate role and be deployed by that in a loving space in her church or in her home uh, is is seen to many as, um, oh, you're sliding toward progressivism, which is I think, silly.
1: I do think there is a challenge for men in spaces like this who are married to women who are leaders naturally, because the challenge is not to let us lead but more, but how to deal with the perception of them because yeah. we do need.
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. I'm so grateful that Jeff is such a, he, he honestly is a humble guy. He doesn't wow. care. Yeah. Like I'll say, hun, people think that you're, you know, they, they think, they got to think you're like a weak dude. And he's like, I don't care what they think.
0: <laughs> does, he ministry or does he work well, in some other field?
2: Uh, he has had a career in it Consulting, and he went to work for a nonprofit about a year and a half ago. So he's loving the nonprofit world at this point.
0: Jen, hitting back on um, some of what you're talking about here, going back to what I felt like were subtle cues to me as a young woman growing up in um, conservative churches. You, you, you constantly, or I've constantly felt like I heard the message of. wives submit to their husbands. You know, you you hear mm-hmm. these things, women can't do this or that. You really, I've really very rarely, I mean, when I say rarely, never maybe, never heard messages um, about the equality of the genders. And in your study of Genesis, I love how you shared how the men and women, male and female, are more alike than we're different. And Mm -hmm. that was so freeing to me when I studied that because I feel like we've just been pitted against one another. And now Mm -hmm. the women are having a hard time, just like you're saying, we feel like, well, if we have a gift of leadership somewhere in there, first, it's never been encouraged. Um, Mm -hmm. And I feel like there are probably women listening to this and they've never really been given a vision for, no, wait, Um, this is your brother. We we are equals. Mm -hmm. There are certain functions and roles that God has set in place in the Bible. But I don't know. I'd, I, I would love for you to somehow encourage women that, no, <laughs> God, God can propel you forward in things maybe you haven't thought of, you know?
2: Yeah. Well, you know, the church is the family of God. It's meant to be the true and better family. And that means that we should regard one another, not as sexual temptations or as... Um, someone who's going to execute a power play against us, that instead we should regard each other as brothers and sisters and we should regard um, older men and women as mothers and fathers Mm -hmm. um, in in, in a beautiful sense. I mean like in the best sense of that relationship and um, within the society at large, the message is men are from Mars, women are from Venus. Like Mm -hmm. it's what's fascinating to me is the idea that we're adversarial is actually a message that's come from the outside in Hmm. Um, or it's been um, a problem that is symptomatic of many churches where their functional Bible starts in Genesis three,
0: exactly instead wow. of in Genesis one. Yes, wow. I'm
2: ripped. I'm borrowing that from Andy Crouch. If you thought that was <laughs> profound, <laughs> so it, it starts in Genesis three and it ends in you know Revelation twenty. Like it's 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 this idea where we forget to say, okay, right, this is what it's like right now, but what what should it have been like, right. and what will it be like one day. And then as those who live praying, may it be on earth as it is in heaven, then how should I inhabit this space, this life? Um, and it, it would be striving to to live out the one another's of the New Testament. And so, I don't mean to be dismissive of the conversations that have been had about headship and authority, but mm-hmm. I do mean to raise my hand and say, are we placing the emphasis on the wrong syllable? <laughs> um, because out of a fear, yeah. a, a, a protective need yes. to you know to to again err on the side of caution at every term. And I think many women have only heard authority submission talk to the point that it grieves me. I'll just say this. It grieves me when someone posts about their anniversary and says, I'm so thankful for this man. He leads our family so well. I want to say, why did you choose lead instead of love?
0: Uh, right. Mm-hmm. Jen.
2: Why can't you just say love? Right. Uh, but but it's that messaging where mm-hmm. um, there's a, I would say there's a social reward for choosing one word over the other. Yeah um you're signaling that you're a good complementarian woman but but in my mind I'm like is she okay like to you know blink twice if you need help uh, which is that's not fair either right that's not fair either a lot of people are just they're using the language that has been provided yes, to the, them like, that they've learned yes yeah, yeah 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 so please hear that in a spirit of humor no. um, <clears throat> but it's a it's a it's a real pickle, and then the pickle is even bigger because even if a man, a woman, or let's say a couple, um, begins to realize, oh gosh, I don't, I think maybe I have overemphasized yeah. one thing, you know, the 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 authority submission conversation over the one another conversation. Um, even if they commit to rectifying that within their own home. They really don't have a ton of control over how it looks in their local church, right, yes. and so the local church can be a very painful place for women who understand that they're treated actually with respect in the workplace,
0: exactly, uh,
2: in volunteer roles they hold in their, you know, their children's school or in their community, and that the place where they um, are not treated as equal image bearers oftentimes is is the place that that should do so first and foremost,
1: and that's uh, the local church. So it can require a great deal of forbearance uh, and patience. It is. That is an incredible point that you made that often we can go to work and feel very respected and very needed. And it can be like, I'm not even talking about being the lawyer or the CEO, but, you know, working in the, I worked in an insurance company and because I knew my stuff, they knew to come to me. So it felt great to go to a space where someone acknowledged me knowing something and could contribute. And so it is... um, interesting to go to church where your family is and to almost be I have never been told explicitly don't use your gift like I praise God I've never been in that space but there is often this but like let somebody point it out and then let somebody lead you to it and then let somebody give you a job and then let somebody don't feel the freedom to run hard in the thing that God has made you to be Mm -hmm. and what has also been an interesting experience Courtney when you said that you had never heard a sermon on this. I remember reading a book recently about Eve and it was a version of Eve I had never experienced. Like she was a woman with emotions and feelings and she did things right in her life. Yeah. (laughs) I
0: never heard that.
1: So mind numbing to hear that. Like what?
0: That's right. Poor Eve. She gets such a bad rap.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So uh, the question in that, Jen, is, can you uh, give advice to women who are looking for opportunities to use their gifts in their local church or in their maybe even parachurch. Um, How do they do that? How do they do that? Not being obviously over the top with Mm -hmm. discouragement or emotion, all those other things, but how do you find that balance of, I just want to come in and tell my pastor, this is what I can do. And then. I think you got to keep putting
2: yourself out there. I think you have to remain open hearted. Um, but also realistic, right? And so mm-hmm. you can go in and say, "Hey, this is these are the skills that I have. Here's where I have a demonstrated track record of these things being useful. I would love to use them in the life of our church in a way that's helpful. And I would I would be very specific. I think I can help you here, here, and here. Don't say I want to help in whatever way you you think, because mm-hmm. that's too vague. Yes. Um, and they need they need to be like, oh gosh, that is a need, and I let's you know. And I haven't been able to find someone to do that, so you know, let's, let's give her a shot. That's good. Advice. Never underestimate the role desperation plays in you getting your foot <laughs> in the door. So, uh, so I think just, you know, going to say, Hey, I just want, this is something that I've done elsewhere. Um, and I would love to use my gifts here in the local church in these specific ways. And then, um, but really more than going and having a meeting with someone, honestly, get, Get on the ground volunteering somewhere and demonstrate mm, yeah. what your gifting is. Like yeah. let your actions speak louder than your words, and and find a way to make yourself indispensable. There you go. And okay. then, uh, and then when when an opportunity comes up, you have much more of a basis for saying, "Hey, I'd love to step into this." You may not even have to ask because they will. And I, I'm amazed at how often when there's a legitimate need. Uh, it becomes way more pragmatic than philosophical If they are going to get to do something and i actually think that's healthy so please don't hear that you know i'm not saying toss no, your yeah. theology out the right. window i'm saying you come to understand your theology from a from a from a healthier vantage point when it when when the rubber hits the road right, right. Um, but i do think you have to prepare your heart to be rebuffed mm mm-hmm. And, um, okay. And don't, don't be super crushed by that. Understand that that's probably what you should have expected to happen. And then, you know what, put yourself out there again in six months or a year. But I do think it's important to keep taking the temperature of it in your local church and asking, is it getting better? or Is it getting worse?
0: That's good.
2: Um, you know, every three months or so have that conversation. If you're a, if you're a single woman, have that conversation with yourself or with some some other women who you know in the church or, or whoever men and women who are who you're in community with, if you're married, have it with your spouse. Um, ask the question, is this getting better or is this getting worse? Now, after three months, that doesn't mean you cut bait. It means <laughs> you, you say, okay, three months again, we're going to check in. We're going to see what's yes. the trajectory here. Is it getting better? Is it getting worse? Uh, and then, you know, you got to make an informed decision on that. Uh, the reality of most of us is that we don't have 45 local churches to pick between yeah. that we mm-hmm. want to be a part of. You know, we, there's usually one or two churches in in your area where you could see yourself. And so we do tend to be committed to, um to staying the course in the church that we're in, but we can feel like maybe we're enablers or maybe we're sellouts. And I would just urge you that the, if the Lord has placed you there, you may influence it either by your ability to serve within the church or um, by other means.
1: And, you know, one of those means can be prayer. Really yeah. just devoting ourselves to Lord. I can't change the heart of the kingdom. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah, absolutely. That's
2: right. I do think it's telling how many women... Uh, who are who are Christian leaders are involved in parachurch organizations. Oh, right. I yeah. think that says something about access points in the local church that uh-huh. kind of breaks my heart. Wow. Yeah. I think it's also telling how many women are single women in particular uh, are involved in overseas missions. Unbelievable! I don't even want to contemplate what that says about the ease of serving in the local church versus uh-huh.
0: serving across Goodness. The, the ocean. World. Goodness! Wow. wow! Okay. Well, shifting gears a little bit, Jen. Thank you for all of that wonderful commentary. It's very good, but I want to shift gears. A lot of women who listen, uh, who who listen to the podcast, who are you know love women and work, they love what they do. They are um, hustlers. They they work hard. They are all in with the calling God has placed on their lives. And so, for a lot of us. Um, There's the temptation to really make our work and our calling an idol in our lives. We can easily, easily uh, become enslaved to it because maybe we love it. And we just or for what do you think it says about us that we do make our callings um, an idol? And how can I mean, it says something about us, right? Um but how can we move away from that and, and and really love the Lord with all our heart, seek Him first, and then all these other things will come into play? Yeah, I think that
2: sometimes there's a misunderstanding that we have to stop doing our work to be able to have it stop being an idol. Okay. And once again, this is not an issue of what our hands are doing. It's an issue of where our hearts are. So um, I actually, with the whole stay-at-home mom gig— um, I know a lot of moms, well, I mean, really with being a mom in general, mommy guilt is, you know, uh, tied up in all of this of like, I have to do this with every single bit of me and therefore do I worship my kids? Well, I don't know whether you worship your kids or not. That's a question you have to ask yourself because externally a mom who is, you know, investing a ton of time in her kids may either be doing it because she loves the Lord and it's an expression of her love for the Lord or because she wants power like, like me. I would Mm. say money and power, but that gig doesn't
1: pay very well. It doesn't pay well at all. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So, uh, but I mean, it does pay in certain ways. Like if you're, if you're investing all of your energy in being a mom, because you need something from your kids,
1: Hmm. you know,
2: yikes. Uh, But if you're investing all of your time in it, because you need, you, you, you're seeking the Lord's approval and his commendation, then knock yourself out. So I think the idea that we have to stop doing the job in order to fix the heart problem May be overly simplistic, and the idea that someone who is throwing heart and soul into a vocation has an idol may not be true. That's right. Uh, yeah. We don't know that we don't know people's hearts, uh, but I know my heart, sure. right? You know your heart, and so we have to be about the business of asking, "What is my motive for laboring uh, as unto? Am I laboring as unto the Lord,
1: or am I laboring to self um, elevate?" Right. So yeah, that that is a soapbox. We could have that conversation because I do think that we give people credit for things just by decisions they've made, but we do not know why people do them. And so not everybody's a stay-at-home mom because they're excited about it. And not everybody's at work because they hate being a mom. Sure,
0: right? Thank you. <laughs> right. <laughs>
1: um, so Courtney did a smart thing. She reached out to some of our listeners and she asked them for some questions, and you know <laughs> that opens the floodgates. This feels safe, right? <laughs> <laughs> one of the questions, it's a good question. One of the questions that. Um, uh, came in, I thought was a good one. How do you handle criticism? How do you handle people's external criticism of you personally? Uh, you uh, Whether it's people just taking ridiculous jabs, I don't like your haircut this week, or why do you have on those shoes, or yeah. even why jabbing your marriage or your theology and all those things. Do, mm-hmm. How do you handle that kind of criticism as a person who's uh, public and people can? constantly have the opportunity to throw things at you
2: yeah um the people who know me and love me the most are my truth tellers
1: that's good Mm -hmm. the end
2: and so it doesn't mean that i don't pay attention to patterns you know like if there's something that keeps coming up i'm going to pay attention to that i'm going to ask have i messaged something you know in a way that i could message it better Uh, but i really think that the lord has put me in a space that is good for my soul in the critique, the constant critique that I receive mm. because my kryptonite is not, do you like me or not? Like right. that's not, that's not an issue for me. And this probably relates to whatever that secret Enneagram <laughs> number is. <laughs> uh, I'm not concerned about whether you like me or not. I like to be liked. Don't get me wrong. I'm concerned about whether you understood me or not.
1: Huh. Mm-hmm.
2: And so, cause I'm a communicator. Mm-hmm. So when people misrepresent what I've said uh, or misconstrue what I have said or use what I've said and twist it you know and and, and then um, and make a mockery of me mm-hmm. that is what's hard for me
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, because I want to say that's not what I said right that's not what I said you are you're, you're telling a lie and I mean it's straight up it's reviling right I mean it's it's, yes. it's breaking commandments bearing false witness against your neighbor but I have to not, let it get in my head. And so um, my husband is really great about saying, Hey, you didn't go out and look at that stuff again, did you? And I'm like, Nope, sure didn't. (laughs) Uh, And he's really good about giving me a level of accountability. And then if things are blowing up, you know, if I'm aware, like you always know, because people will start to text you. I'm praying for you today. And you're like, hey, that's interesting. Why? Yeah. Why you okay. praying for me? Uh, thanks. Uh, and so and I'm not saying like, go ahead, everybody. Text me that. That's awesome. But uh, I'm like, uh-oh, hey Jeff, can you go like Google Jen Wilkins, see what comes up, you know? Oh my God. Yes. Uh, And then he can filter it for me because honestly, you can't have that in your head. You yeah. can't you can't have that in your head.
0: Um you just can't. So you just don't spend so, time on some of these things that are untrue about you. You just have to can't look at it
2: well the goal of all of it is to silence you or cancel you or whatever and um, I remember I had my boss before I I quit which is ironic before I quit to stay home with Matt he said you know the real secret to success in your career is just longevity Hmm. just stay and Hmm. so that's what I just try to do is stay Um, and then I pray that over the course of you know a couple decades whether I was worth listening to or not, will play itself out. Very true. Amen.
1: That's good. I think one of the most beautiful things you said was you have truth tellers. Like we can't operate without community and we don't need yes men. We don't need Mm -hmm. the people who just love us and tell us everything's Mm -hmm. great. But having those people around us to be like, I mean... That probably wasn't a bad haircut. She didn't need to tell you.
2: (laughs) Right. That's right. (laughs) You knew it in your soul before she said it. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, like, honestly, I have been, the Lord has given me so much relational wholeness in my immediate family, which Mm -hmm. is just a massive, massive gift Mm -hmm. that not everyone gets. Right. Yes, And it's a huge for me. I that's think it great. helps me. Um, you know, my difficult relationship, my difficult marriage is not to Jeff. My difficult marriage has been to the local church wow, many wow. times, um, and not, not now. Sure. I mean, currently the yes. local church yes. and I have gone through marriage therapy and are doing yes. great, but uh, <laughs> there, have, you know, there have been some years. And so, uh, I do think that's another thing that at least in my situation helps me to just keep going mm-hmm. is that the people who I know, uh, love me the most, um, they don't believe those things are true about sure. me. So.
0: All right. Well, as we wrap up, Jen, uh, this is a question we like to ask um, everyone who comes on as we close. What is just one last piece of advice or warning or encouragement that you would want to leave with women who want to honor God with their vocational calling? Just one last um, thing. Yeah. Um, the Lord cares more about
2: this issue than you do. mm, mm. He does. The Lord cares Lovely. more about dignifying women's vocation mm-hmm. than you do, and so all of the swirling around inside of you that you feel uh, when what when the work you are doing is called into question, or when even you yourself are feeling all of the internal turmoil around it for whatever reason, just know that the Lord is more invested in this conversation than you will ever be, and um, ask Him for wisdom. You know, it's 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 the unequivocal. Uh, Pro- promise that we receive in the scriptures. It's the name and and claim it promise in James. Mm-hmm. If any of you act, lacks wisdom, let him ask. Yes. Now, the problem with wisdom is it's something you have to apply, right? And <laughs> so, so it's not like he just tells you what to do, yeah. um, but you begin to grow in discernment, you know, by by looking around and saying, okay, well, if I do this, this is going to happen. If I do that, that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And then you understand you can trust the Lord with the outcomes. Uh, of any decision that you make. And so then you just rest in the fear of the Lord. You rest in the the right reverence and awe of the Lord and make your decisions from that framework. And you're walking the path of wisdom. He does give it to us. So just know he's more concerned with your sanctification than you are, whether that means that you're working outside the home or whether you're a stay-at-home mom. He's committed to conforming you to the image of Christ by whatever means. And, um, and you can, you can exhale a little bit knowing that. That's good. That's so good. That's
1: wonderful. Well, thank, thank you so, you so much. much.
2: Guys, we need to hang out. This is not, this was not a hang time. Yes, I know. I know.
1: And I have a million things we need to chat about. So. <laughs> <laughs> this is so great. Well, we're right. grateful, Jen. Thank you for joining us and for sharing that wisdom with us.
2: Oh, thanks for the work you guys are doing here on the podcast. Grateful for you both.
0: All right. Thanks so much, Jen.
1: And thanks so much to our listeners for joining us today. Be sure to check out our website at womenwork.net for today's show notes. There will also be more information about today's conversation there. And while you're there, take a look at the Women and Work podcast discussion questions.
0: We provided those so that you can leave your friends from work, your neighborhood, or your church into useful conversations that will encourage you as you take your next step of faith into your calling.
1: If you enjoyed today's show and don't want to miss an episode, please subscribe through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. We'd also love for you to take a minute to rate and review our show so more listeners can find us. And with that,
0: we hope you've been inspired to more confidently step into your God-given calling and view your work as meaningful to the kingdom of God. See you next time.